Ollie's at the wheel. Is the car careening dangerously out of control or is some of the reaction to uh, United's defeat against Wolverhampton Wanderers a little overblown in the long-term context? Well, if you believe my Twitter timeline, not only was it a terrible mistake that Ollie was appointed in the first place and uh, Woodward should reconsider, perhaps even sack him off already, but Pogba and De Gea should be binned off too because they're obviously terrible and we should just take the cash because obviously United has a fantastic record in the transfer market since 2013 and it's an absolute surefire guarantee that we'll spend it correctly, not on shiny old like we have done uh, on other occasions. Anyway, Um, I'm ranting a bit early. We we lost twice in three games to Wolverhampton Wanderers. What the is going on <laughs> um I, I, you've sworn twice already tom's gonna be breaking his bleep button by the end of this one um I, I, when you say your twitter timeline do you mean like three people who are you now conflating to be a huge number of people when actually their voices should be ignored rather than have the spotlight no. shone on them like other extremists i don't think groups? so i think i mean obviously it's twitter so uh, 10 people can make it seem like thousands or millions but it was quite a few people, including some prominent names, who I will not name, uh, who were getting all a bit, oh, well, I said this would happen. Terrible decision. I mean, I mean when you l- say l- I think, like, I- there's a lot of prominent names in United Twitter are absolute what's it and also some good ones. Yeah, the good ones are, remember, remind me. Uh, so, look, stepping back a bit, uh, it, it, Ollie was appointed permanent manager after we last recorded. It does seem an age since we last recorded. I think we'd just lost to Wolves. Yes. <laughs> we yeah, only last recorded funnily enough. as well. Yeah, yeah mid-March or something. So um, and it was kind of curious timing, wasn't it, over the international break? And I did wonder, well, we had a chat on the WhatsApp group, exactly what, uh, precipitated that because he could have waited till the summer, like had been promised and in fact was promised about a week beforehand on the investicle that they're in no rush and uh, the summer will do just fine. So what do you think like prompted Woodward to come out and give Ollie the job permanently? I really liked it actually. I, I thought it was, I, I, I think this seems to be the, the lovely thing about not being on Twitter as I have no idea whether what I'm about to say is true or not, but it feels a bit like a min- minority opinion to have really liked the timing of it because a lot of people seem to have said, you know, why didn't we wait till summer, etc. The one really good reason to not wait, I even heard someone say this must be evidence that the people that they wanted other than Ollie aren't available now. And I think that's complete nonsense. The thing I really like about this is it takes... Um, it makes it really abundantly clear that we're not setting an arbitrary reason for appointing Solskjaer beyond anything being arbitrary when um, the United board decide it. Um, We're not saying, okay, you have to finish in the top four and then we'll give you the job. Uh, We're not saying you have to win a trophy. We're not saying you've got to win every game. In fact, the, the announcing of it just after the international break kind of made it really clear that, like, this is not dependent on a specific set of results. This is about what's already happened up to now has shown clear evidence that this guy is as good a punt as anyone. And and I wonder, so that's the kind of pure positive spin of it. The, the one thing that I wonder about, and I wonder what you think about this, is there does seem to be a great deal of unrest in terms of the players that are currently in the team and and at United, never mind who we bring in, but who is still going to be here? Like, will the last midfielder please 
turn out the lights kind of thing. And I wonder whether yeah. some of this is about just trying to create some stability. Well, that, that's a, it's probably the best argument that I've heard so far. Maybe. I don't know whether that's true. I, th- I think it's really weird, United's strategy of letting the clock run down on so many players. And, and in fact, the clock would have run down on even more contracts if they hadn't triggered a bunch of one-year extensions. But that just buys you a bit of time. It doesn't mean that these players are then signed up for the long ter- term. So they managed to do a deal with a bunch of players that didn't make any sense. So Ashley Young, Chris Smalling and Phil Jones. Has Phil Jones got a deal? I, I didn't, didn't he sign? Wasn't, or wasn't he 2022 or something? <laughs> maybe or so. That... Yeah, maybe so. I know Smalling was. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and haven't signed up. Uh, some, some one marginal one in uh, one matter. It's questionable. I mean, I, I'm sure that they're looking at his age, 30, uh, and his role in the team slash squad and wondering whether it's worth all the money um, and trying to weigh that against how much it will cost to get a replacement because that's going to cost a lot of money too. Ollie is known to be in favour of bringing the age down a little bit, more flexible, wants to work with younger players, isn't isn't on the, the Jose track of wanting sort of older stars. Uh, and obviously United being burnt, particularly with Sanchez, uh, but also, I, I'd argue with Matic. Would you, Ed? Um, yeah, would I? I know. I've never said that before. So, you know, breaking news, folks. <laughs> uh, he's tr- truly dreadful when he played against Watford. So, I mean, he missed a game against Wolves. So, uh, I can't judge him for that. Um, and, and then, you know, an, another one slightly less marginal, Ander Herrera, uh, who's younger, but the spin that's come out this week, and we haven't had any confirmation of this, but what one that it looks like he's off to Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer and, and two, that the club were reluctant to go above what they'd set as their upper limit because they didn't want to commit um, to a player who's older for the next four years, which makes sense until you look at Sanchez and Matic and go, well, what happened there then? So but- um, it, it's, been a very, it's been a very strange contract management situation. It doesn't feel like it's uh, consistent uh, and it doesn't always feel like it's in the best interest of the club. No, I, I think that's inarguable, isn't it? And yet, Phil Jones, 2023, I looked it up while you were talking. My, my apologies for not remembering that. I clearly had rep- repressed that painful memory. <laughs> um, uh, it, Jones doing a pretty good job against Wolves of showing why some people are reluctant to assume that the excellent patches of form that he does have are likely to continue for any length of time at any point. I think the the one thing I would say is that the Herrera thing, using Sanchez and Mata as a kind of, as a a barometer, I mean, the the thing about, uh, sorry, did I say Sanchez and Mata? I meant Sanchez and Matic. Matic was a Mourinho signing at the point at which the club was still kind of fully committed to backing Mourinho. And so that is what it is. And Mourinho would have been kind of clear, this is the player I need to free up Pogba and all that kind of stuff. And for about a week, it worked. Um, Sanchez is just a complete nonsense, isn't it? Like Sanchez is just one of the worst decisions the club's made. And that this is like, you know, that'd be an amazing listicle, wouldn't it? Top 10 mistakes that Man United have made in the post-Fergie era. But I think 
It's working off the top of my head. I'd go Sanchez at number two out of all the mistakes United have made. So that's it's oh. pretty high. Well, number one being appointing David. Yeah, Moyes. absolutely. No yeah. question. Like number one, it doesn't yeah. require any discussion. <laughs> There's just a lot of. I, I know. I mean, the, the thing with Phil Jones, and and uh, I know we're uh, going around in circles a little bit, but he has played more than forty games in the season once in his entire United career. In fact, in his entire career, and that was in his first season at United. Like the man is broken, and and when he's not broken, he's highly inconsistent. There may there may have been a hugely talented boy in there somewhere, but he's now twenty seven. By the time this contract finishes, he'll be thirty one. And I, I bet you right now he won't have played more than forty games in the season. Even then, yeah, it, it was just nonsense. I mean, if there was anyone that they were going to get off the books, um, it was him. And then Smalling has hardly earned it. Has he? I mean, he's just been so inconsistent, bar about three months of excellent form before he had that brain farce against Manchester City a few years back. I mean, it was it, it was there's, like there's twelve months. Barely but... been patches when he's been good. Yeah. So anyway, no, I mean that we we know about this. The, the, there's also, of course, all the Pogba talk. So this isn't a contract thing, but this is international break coverage classic. He's asked about Zidane. Uh, Sasha, rather kindly, I thought, said Paul's a polite lad. He was asked a question about Zidane and he answered it. Um, but obviously that is that is a move that makes, you know, you can easily see that happening. But do you know what was really weird? Is I almost took the Herrera news harder. That one was like, because uh, it's like, no, no, Hander, no, surely not. Like... Ander Herrera is such yeah. like a football guy. He loves football so much. And PSG is such a nonsense non-club. But then um, I was talking to a friend of the show at AB5Y, Abbe, on, um, on, we were chatting on Instagram. And uh, he pointed out that the last time uh, Ander Herrera was involved in a massive European upset, he joined the losers. So, you know, it's a pattern. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's interesting how the narrative plays out on this one, isn't it? And uh, hero of the fans, man of the people, speaks the way um, the fans uh, expect him to speak, kisses the badge metaphorically and physically all the time, yeah. uh, seemingly walking away at the first sign of a new big contract. Paul Pogba came back to the club despite there being more money on the table elsewhere, despite there being surely more trophies on the the table elsewhere, has said at every point he loves the club and he loves playing here, was deeply frustrated by Mourinho, puts in a couple of poor performances and, and they haven't been great in the last three games. And uh, very politely, and I think that was the right word, answers a direct question about how do you feel about Zinedine Zidane? Oh, I respect him. He's a hero of the French people. Yeah. Uh, it becomes... Pogba off to Real Madrid and, you know, you're you're a virus, you're a scum and we must sell you. <laughs> it's absolute <laughs> nonsense. Sorry, that's four. But uh, I'm just, I'm more mad about this and the brain dead, you know, idiots who need to give their head a wobble, uh, who are sack De Gea, sack Pogba, sack Oli, sack everyone, let's give Fred a chance. Uh, <laughs> absolute mind-numbingly idiotic should be in Parliament voting for Brexit type idiot fans than I am about United having lost to Wolves twice <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So are we realistically in a situation where out of what you would kind of call our first choice midfield at the moment, Nemanja Matic is going to be the only one that's here at the beginning of next season? 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty concerning because it doesn't really matter how much United might might get for Pogba if that's if that does become the case, and I'm not sure it will be. But even if United brought in 150 million or something for Pogba, you can see that money being wasted pretty easily, mm. can't you? And there's no guarantee when you're spending 50 million pounds or 53, as it cost for Fred, that you're going <laughs> you're going to get a classy player. It rhymes. <laughs> Every it rhymes with bread. That's, that's, that's well worth the 50 million. No, I mean the yeah. This is a whole nother conversation about what on earth we're going to do in the summer. Because I've been feeling like, I do think that a lot. Let's talk about the football. Um, I didn't watch the Watford game. Ed, how was the Watford game? I hear it was not great. It was awful. (laughs) I mean, it was truly dreadful. United uh, had a lot of shots from very long range. Uh, Really, none of them were any kind of threat at all. And, or in fact... Didn't even have that many shots. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the one thing I know about this game, because I didn't see it apart from the goals, is we did have a lot of shots. I looked that up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Uh, Had a few shots from long range (laughs) uh, and didn't really create that much of a threat and were just really lethargic. Just no zip uh, about the uh, play at all. Uh, Just, like, no real pace, nothing coming out of midfield. Um, nothing from Pogba, Matic, awful and slow. When Mata trying to, I mean, he was played at 10, uh, Mata trying to dictate play, but just not, not being able to. Um, I, Andres Pereira, um, uh, did he come on or come off? I can't remember now. Uh, he came on. He, for, didn't do he much. came on for twenty four minutes. He came yeah. on for Jesse Lingard. No, the, Jeff, yeah. no, no. Sorry, you've you've had a mare, Ed. Um, had a mare. Him, him and Jesse Lingard came on at the same time. By the looks of it, right, right, right. Oh yeah, after about an hour. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to remember back. Yeah, um, yes, that's right. Him and Jesse Lingard came on at the same time. Didn't do much either. And for Herrera and Mata, who neither of whom did much. So it was one of those kind of games where they. It, it, it was really hard for United to kind of spark into life at all. Uh, Watford, I mean, they, um, they're they physical, aren't they, still? And in Troy Deeney, they've got someone who's an uh, awful lot of problem uh, for any kind of defender to, um, to handle. Uh, they deserved their goal late on. They, they probably didn't deserve to win. I don't know whether United deserved to win either, though, honestly. Um, and it was one of those ones where it felt like United got away with it. Now, I've seen some reports that said something along the lines of, you know, got really lucky here and should have lost. And I'm not sure that's true either. Um, I think that kind of narrative always comes from expectations. So you expect United to win a game at Old Trafford against a team that's in mid-table. Watford did a bit better than that. Uh, but uh, anyway, now squeak this one, uh, but it was a nothing burger of a game. Uh, and it kind of perfectly set us up for another defeat at Wolves. I would um, not be mad at all if we signed Decore in the summer. That's for sure. I would not be mad about that whatsoever. I think he's a really good no. Player. He's um, he's uh, he's uh, he's a good player. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I think a word for Marcus Rashford's brilliant goal and Luke Shaw's um, fine contribution to that. Like I said, I didn't see the game as a whole, but um, I, Luke Shaw's pass was great. And that's exactly yeah. the kind of finish 
that Rashford has sometimes struggled a bit with the kind of lots of time to think about it, fully kind of like just a composed striker's finish rather than uh, those like the incredible technical finishes that he does sometimes. That was like just a brilliant striker's goal, wasn't it? Really, really fantastic. Yeah, and and Shaw was probably United's best player, not not just because of the assist, um, but just con- constantly um, uh, making room uh, and runs down the left hand flank, um, and just uh, and that that pass didn't come from a you know, some kind of bombing run up to the up to the wing to cross, but it came from a, a good drive out of defence uh, and then picking out a just absolute peach of a ball. Yeah. And then, um, and then, anti Martial scoring. What? What? I mean, it, I was going to call it a scrappy goal because, in the end, you know, Solskjaer said he needs to score more kind of scrappy ones. They both do. Um, and in the end, I guess it was quite a strikery, scrappy goal. But he did have to do a bunch of genius stuff just before that to make it happen. So you know, there was that. But th- th- they were they were the two massive positives from that because any any time you've got Rashford and Martial both scoring in a game. Um, that's real, real, real good. Because, well, yeah. I mean, it'd be good if they were playing against Wolves. I guess. <laughs> um, uh, but... So yeah, um, dis- um, disappointing performance against Watford. Good result. Kept United in touch after the defeat to Arsenal in the previous league game. Yeah. Um, defeat to Wolves then. Pretty much a disaster. I mean, it, what really what's... when we when we're thinking about what's to come in the league? Uh, what are there six games left now? And two of those against Chelsea and City. I mean, one of those against City. I'll give you that. One, yeah, one against City, one against Chelsea. I'd fully rather, um, no joke, like, be funny if they beat us after this, but I would much rather we had a game left against Chelsea at home than Wolves away. I think, I think we're going to beat, I'm not worried about that Chelsea game. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. It's going to be a huge one. I mean, Chelsea are playing and winning as we speak. This is eight forty-four on Wednesday night, so we'll we'll see what happens by the end of the night. Uh, but it, it's Spurs, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, all within two points uh, of each other at the moment. Arsenal, big advantage there, having the game in hand. Um, uh, our our um, advantage or disadvantage, we're City's game in hand. Uh, basically, I mean the way the fixtures are going to end up working out, mm. and um, we we might really, really, really need to beat them for our own purposes, and really, really, really need to not beat them for the league purposes. Yeah. So we'll see about that one. Yeah, um, I think there's a few things to say about the Wolves game. Why? Why don't people? Why? Why do people refuse to accept context as being relevant? Like, um. That game, once again, load of injuries. Loads of players, like, half fit, half coming back from injury. You know, international break problems. Like, the the reason, one of the reasons that we looked really disjointed in that game was because we were playing a makeshift midfield again and a makeshift front line. So, like, yeah, we didn't play that well. And then everyone's losing the run of themselves when... When our injury hit team didn't do that well against a really good team. Yeah. Also, by the way, by the way, not to be excessively nerdy about this, we did create a bunch of really good chances in that game. Oh, should could... have been 3-0 up before Wolves even got close to United. Exactly. I mean, 
the amount of well, uh, there was a Lukaku header, a uh, Lingard header, and Rashford header. Uh, the three headers Rash- went direct. Rashford didn't. To Patricio. Rashford didn't play, did he? Um, uh, okay. McTominay McTominay had a in the six yard box Alright, just so, some really, really good chances Yeah uh, And uh, it wouldn't have been unfair if United had been 3-0 up I think before Wolves got one back No, the big problem uh, Inside 20 minutes there, there were two big problems in that game One, the effect that their goal had on us was worrying, genuinely worrying. So their first goal, between between that and half-time, we were terrible. And then the rest of what went wrong for United was a bunch of clown shoes being clown shoes. You know, that second goal, David De Gea is more responsible for that goal than Jones and Smalling, and that's saying something. Because he's so um, indecisive and he stands himself sideways and he flinches and just loses the run of himself for that goal. Mm. But... Yeah, for sure he should have done better. They all should have done because they clearly didn't communicate with each other yeah. in in the heat of that situation. Um, but one one of the things that great goalkeepers do is in in confusing situations they take over, don't exactly. they? Exactly. The hair should have been much more decisive then. Uh, I, look, I I am not one to take a one performance. And a mistake there, or even several mistakes as we've seen this season, because his form has definitely softened, um, and say, oh, suddenly he's not very good, which is basically the take that Mark Ogden had on ESPN when he was like, he's no good anymore, United should get rid. Uh, and a whole bunch of people echoed that, including some other people on other United podcasts. You know who you are. Bad, bad take, um, which is basically, uh, he's rubbish. Because who are United going to buy? Right, you suddenly think you're going to get a better goalkeeper out there than David De Gea, who's been our Player of the Year in four of the six seasons since Ferguson retired. And it's also worth saying that David De Gea has had dips in form before as well, and recovered from them and been stellar. So yeah. there's no. There's... I think a lot of this is down to the disruption in the club with managers and uh, coming and going. And probably even more, his contract situation. And I said right at the beginning of the season that I wouldn't be surprised if his form goes a bit soft, you know? And we had a whole conversation about whether uh, his head was quite right. Yeah. I'm not sure that it is. No, I mean, he's been... The conclusion of that should be, let's get that contract tied down. (laughs) Why are they negotiating over, you know, a few tens of thousands here when it's going to cost them a hundred million to get an adequate replacement? And the wages on top, which are not going to be small either. Uh, sort it out, get it locked down, get his head in the right place, and we'll have a great goalkeeper back again. I mean, I, I do think it is completely reasonable to say, like, it's not just that he's made a few mistakes this season. It's he's in a really shoddy run of form. Like, he's made big mistakes in a bunch of games recently. or And even if, like, sometimes it's not been big mistakes, but it's been... Like, like exactly like you said, the form has softened. Um, but there has been a kind of concentration of this recently, and I do think that's that's absolutely accurate. But I completely agree with your conclusion. Like, one hundred percent agree with the conclusion. And I kind of that first goal. So when I first saw that first goal, I was like, Dave, what are you doing? And then I saw just how much space Fred was standing in when De first passed him the ball. I was like, all oh, right, sorry, my bad, my bad, B. This one, that's that is absolutely you did. That was a completely reasonable pass to make to a professional footballer and expect them I mean, not to do what they did. Uh, uh, Edison um, or Allison would make. 
20 passes of that nature every single game. Oh, no, I'm, I'm saying... Right? I'm saying I'm, I know I'm, I know you're agreeing with me. Yeah. I'm just saying it's perfectly reasonable for the goalkeeper to play out from the back like that. It wasn't a dangerous Not ball. Not even slightly. Fred should control and turn and distribute like any high-quality <laughs> player. 50-something million-pound player would, should be able to do. I mean, everyone's allowed to make mistakes and everyone's human and, and he just made a, an absolute shocking blunder. Um, another one for the kind of... I mean, I, I have to say, and maybe I'm mad, but I have not fully given up on Fred because I, I would be very interested to see what a pre-season stability, a set midfield, you know, all of this kind of stuff does for him because he's moved to a new country. He's got a young fam, like just like they, they his fam, his partner's had a baby since, since moving here. There's an, a lot going on in Fred's life. And so, you know, I, I, I'll accept him not being in very good form, but that was, a, that yeah. was an absolute shocker. Yeah. Um, uh, we also are being pretty harsh. Um, errors leading to goal in the Premier League. David De Gea, two. I mean, yeah, but the errors leading to goal stat, you know, like, does did he get one for yesterday? Yeah, I presume so. Mm. I, well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, the errors leading to goal is a weird stat. It's like big chances because it's a it's an eye test stat, isn't it? Um, and and it's like either way, who who, who United going to sign? Jordan Pickford? No, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not. Obviously, I think it's completely ridiculous to suggest but but you know if we weren't playing Barcelona next I wouldn't be averse to Solskjaer taking De Gea out of the firing line for a couple of games and just to just to just as a kind of managery thing to be like listen there's been a lot of this lately um, we've got Romero's a good keeper kind of thing um that's but I'm I'm not saying I would necessarily do that but I don't think that would be completely crazy or anything uh, but obviously that's not going to happen against Barcelona unless um, unless he really has decided not to sign a new contract or whatever. Um, the, uh, the, the errors in that game... No, he didn't get an error leading to goal yesterday. Uh, the errors in that game were spread widely around the team. And your boy, Ashley Young, I mean... He played a weird formation, Solskjaer. So he played basically a back three with Young as part of the back three in the first half. But by the time Young got sent off, he was playing it right back. Um, what did you make of the sending off? Harsh? Fair? I mean, it, no, it was... no. I think I think it's I think it's fair. I mean, he's got a stupid first yellow card, and then the second one, he he's gone in high and he's over the top of the ball and caught the guy in his ankle. I think that's always going to be a yellow yeah. card. So. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I can't really complain of that, about that one. I, th- I don't think Ashley Young needs to make that tackle. Um, and, no. and it's put United in a really difficult position as a result of that, uh, which a lot of people have uh, totally forgotten. Of course, you know, United terrible in the last half an hour. What you got in, any any possible inkling of why that might be, folks? There was also there was also a really good spell after he got sent off between him getting sent off and the goal, which is only like you know, and in fact, bef- between half time and him getting sent off uh, was United were like bang on top after having been like right under the cosh for the last period of the of the first half. So I thought that was really significant too. United had twice as many shots as Wolves yesterday. I know that's not yeah a lot of shots. You yeah. know that metric on its own doesn't I'm not saying United deserved to win this game. They didn't. I'm saying they lost this game. There were there were periods of time where they were awful as a collective, but 
but they were they also did a lot of good stuff in that game as well, and that that has been completely ignored in among all the kind of Lukaku after like three minutes from five yards out, um, uh, McTominay just after the break from like five yards out, um, Lingard like ten minutes into the game. I mean, they all should have scored from those positions. Yeah. Um, uh, then you had uh, Pogba cutting inside. I oh, know, sorry, Luke Shaw cutting inside after about fifteen minutes, didn't you? And, yeah. And uh, who else? That was just before uh, Lukaku had a one. shot from sort of narrow angle, um, uh, just before half time. There, there are a whole bunch of chances. Yeah. And anyway, so you know that this is not to say that like Solskjaer deserves a pass for some of his decisions, although I don't quite know what else he was supposed to do given the injury situation. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it's, it, it, it is interesting how intense the reaction to this has been because, like, Solskjaer, the, he lost, we lost the PSG game, that first leg, but obviously that, that was turned around, then didn't lose a game, and now we lost three out of four. Um, many of those games... Uh, we created, I'm not going to say we were the better side, but we created more better chances than the opposition in two out of the three yeah. games that we lost. Well, in uh, Arsenal and Wolves, they could have gone either way. Yeah, those games. exactly. And, yeah. and I'm not saying that because United's XG was better than Wolves' is in that game, they deserved to win because they didn't because they made catastrophic... Moral <laughs> They made catastrophic individual errors, particularly like for both goals, there were catastrophic individual errors at, at stake. Now, a lot of people might, might sort of take the view that if Mourinho was the manager, we would be a bit harsher on this. But but I really I really think if United had been um, dominating, like um, consistently outperforming the other teams in terms of XG, creating loads of really good chances and made some catastrophic individual errors and lost games, we wouldn't have been calling for Jose Mourinho's head. So, uh, you know, I, I I think the overreaction is... Is super oh, intense. Well, I have seen a lot of people say, "Well, would we would we be talking about this like about Mourinho like this?" Mourinho had three years, yeah, or at least had three months. If Mourinho and I don't remember exactly how many games Mourinho won, but if he'd won fifteen of his first twenty games, which is what Ollie did, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, that's absolutely would be nailing into the wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's right. it is is real. It's the the reaction is is the thing that's even the most worrying, really, and. You know, I was thinking about Herrera leaving and you're thinking like, oh God, like what a downer and he sort of seemed to get the fans and all that kind of stuff. And then I also think, well, yeah, but also the flip side of that is um, United fans on social media absolutely hammer their players every time they do anything wrong. Like there's not a there's not a player in the United squad who doesn't get his Facebook wall full of you were rubbish last week, you know, every time anything goes wrong. So I'm not surprised they don't have this uh, undying loyalty to the badge because they're not treated with much in the way of leniency by uh, by the support either locally or globally. You know, because I'm sure many of the prominent people you were talking about with the strong reactions were not global fans. You know, anyway. Yeah. All of that. All of that is miserable. But I tell you what is not miserable. And I tell you who's a prominent United person who I'll listen to any day of the week. Um, and that is friend of the show and my friend, uh, Darren Richmond. And I was absolutely... You've got friends? Wow. <laughs> wow. 
I want you to ask yourself a question now, sincerely, Ed. Was that necessary? Thanks. Did that feel no, did that feel not. necessary to you? Do you feel like the, the collective discourse has been improved? Do you think the world's a better place now than it was before you said that? Well, pro- pro- possibly, yeah, <laughs> possibly. Anyway, Darren is nicer than you, and I talked to him, and here's the interview. <laughs> I am absolutely delighted to be joined by not just friend of the show, but IRL actual friend... Darren Richmond. Um, Darren, uh, you would have been on this show literally several years ago had I not been absolutely convinced we had already done this at some point. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You're you're super welcome. So um, I guess my uh, my first question would be, what's your uh, background with United? What's the first United games that you remember? So... Basically, well, my background with United is that my dad is a fanatical Man United fan. When my older brother was born, um, my grandfather on my mum's side turned him into an Arsenal fan. He vowed if he ever had another son, that wouldn't happen again. So I became a United fan. (laughs) And me and my my brother were born in 82. He was born in 82. I was born in 84. So when we both started supporting them in the kind of mid to late 80s, you know, they were kind of sleeping giant clubs. And then obviously throughout the 90s, they ended up being the sort of two biggest clubs. Um, but we didn't know that when we started supporting them and we didn't realise how much hostility that was going to cause in our household. <laughs> my mum and my brother being Arsenal and me and my dad being United. Um, in terms of my earliest memories uh, of watching United, I think around kind of 1991, um, I have quite a vivid memory of the Cup Winners' Cup final in 91. Right. Um, I have a strange, a, a, a kind of a weird memory, which isn't sort of like an iconic game or anything. But there was a game we played against Liverpool, which I think was in 92, when we were 2-0 down and Hughes scored two with about 10 minutes to go. Right. Uh, and we yeah, we drew two or one diving header and one lob over Grobelar. I would say those are my kind of earliest memories. I went to a Rambolos Cup final two years in a row against Forest and Sheffield Wednesday. I think one of them wasn't a Rambolos Cup final. But yeah, it's kind of early 90s, but pre us winning the league. I really like the idea of you and your brother, you and your dad on one side and your mum and your brother on the other side, like squeezing through the kitchen door at the same time, going, I'll see you out there. I'll see you out there. <laughs> well, I can tell you on the last day of the 98-99 um, the season, we obviously had to sit in different rooms. You know, me and my dad were sat in, because it went to the last day. Obviously, Arsenal had to get a result in their game and hope we didn't win at home. And uh, yeah, we, we were actually segregated that day. <laughs> Um, you, uh, those of those people who follow you on Twitter and and just know you generally will know that um, you're not the most uh, hardcore tribalistic minded United fan in terms of your relationship with supporters of other clubs. Uh, do you think that part of this is the fact that you had to deal with your brother being and your mum being Arsenal fans at the height of the rivalry? That's a very interesting analysis and not one that I've ever thought about. I mean. I think part of it, when it comes to Twitter, and obviously everyone uses Twitter differently, but I do think it is one of those things, probably kind of like a perfect crystallization of what you put into something you're going to get back. 
And I think the thing about sport and football in particular is it will come back and bite you in the arse eventually. So there's no point in lording it over other people. Like, I don't like Liverpool at all. I don't like City at all. Um, I don't especially like Arsenal. But I think I get more out of it in terms of my own team, especially when for the kind of first, well, pretty much the first 20, 25 years of support, the first 20 years of supporting them were so good. It, it didn't really feel like I needed to focus on the negatives involving other teams. But I'm sure that Arsenal aspect had something to do with it. And it's interesting that my mum, as the years wore on, and she'll never admit this, but I would say she's almost as much of a United fan as an Arsenal fan. Because wow. She did, she did not like, you know, she was a season ticket holder in the 71 double winning season at Highbury, but she did not like, you know, to see me upset. And she wanted everyone in our household to be happy, which obviously wasn't very easy when they were the two teams buying <laughs> the thing at one stage. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about a great deal over the years is Sir Alex Ferguson. Who I would say that you have a out of everyone I know, and as I'm sure everyone listening can imagine, that's a lot of people who have a significant emotional investment in Alex Ferguson. I don't think I know anyone who loves Alex Ferguson as much as you do, and I mean that. I like that's that's with no disrespect to all the other people that I know who are listening to this who love Alex Ferguson. I think Darren loves him more than you do. <laughs> I mean, I think I think certainly it's the most unconditional. Right. Of everyone that I know, I'm not sure anyone loves him as unconditionally as I do. <laughs> it feels like you always have to add some kind of, you know, caveat when you're talking about him. I don't feel the need to add a caveat. He got referenced in my wedding speech. Um, it, I just feel as though my, my sort of main feeling about him is that obviously the stuff with the glaze and stuff, those caveats that are always brought up, as far as I'm concerned, and, and I believe I've said this to you before in private, if um, the club were to have folded the day after he retired, I would still feel as though we did pretty well there. We got more memories to last a lifetime than any other set of football fans in this country has pretty much ever had. Um, so, so even if he made mistakes that were to the detriment of the club and had actually brought the club down, I would still completely unconditionally adore him. Oh, it's really, I love it. It's <laughs> so funny. Um, uh, so uh, what do you think, why do you think that is? What do you think, what is it about him that is so like he, it doesn't matter what else he does, there's just unconditional love? I think that, Obviously, what I find quite interesting about sport is people engage with it in very different ways. So when it comes to, you know, just to take an example, when it comes to cricket, my interest in cricket is purely in a kind of narrative sense. I'm someone who likes English. I like novels. Um, and so when it comes to cricket, that's all I'm interested in is kind of the stories. I like reading books about cricket almost more than I like watching a cricket match. Yeah. Whereas my dad, who is an accountant and is kind of obsessed with numbers, he can go years and years and years without watching a Middlesex game. But he is much more invested than me 
in these numbers, in these statistics, and how they change over time. And obviously, we're seeing that to some extent with what's happening in football now. And obviously, there's a kind of schism between people who sort of see stats as being kind of massively important and those who completely dismiss them. And my feeling with Ferguson is it's all about the narrative. It's all about those kind of 20 years when we were treated to these astonishing moments that, you know, it could not have come basically at a better time for me. You know, from the age of seven to the age of 27, I saw my team win the league 13 times. Yeah, it's crazy. Even with the money that's been pumped into City, I'd be surprised if they did 13 in 20. Maybe they will, but even then, I don't think it's as impressive as the way that he did it because he sort of took a sleeping giant and turned them into this behemoth. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, I, and I, I guess the being from the age of seven to 27 and seeing 13 league titles won, I guess that's a pretty, roughly speaking, that age will be will be the experience of a lot of people listening to this. And that, that must have been quite something. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was very telling. You, you were one of the people, actually. I was in the cinema um, last year when, obviously, the news came out that, you know, he, he was not in a good way. And I came out of the cinema and, you know, you had messaged me and you were one of about six people who had messaged me. Now, I know that you know plenty of United fans and the other people who were messaging me know a lot of United fans. But there is something there that people see some link with me to him just because, I, I mean, I was sat on the tube that night and I was crying on the tube. Just, you know, thinking about this bloke who I've never met, I never will meet, you know, in all likelihood. And, and at this stage, you know, in terms of United, his influence, certainly not what it was, although we'll probably get onto that in a minute. Um, but it was just such a kind of blow because he seemed to me like someone who would last forever. And that actually was something of a wake-up call, that he is just a human being. Um, yeah. And I even said in a piece I wrote years ago, I think to mark 25 years, you know, if if, if I were to kind of somehow come across a, a pill that would let you last for eternity, um, I would give it to Alex Ferguson. That was when he was our manager still. I don't know what decision I'd make now. <laughs> I think you'd still give it to Alex Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thank you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Although, although... Is it a thank you? That's a philosophical question. Is living forever something that is to be aspired to? Oh, yes. that's. I think that's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so I, just in case anyone's listening and thinking, but Paul, why aren't you putting up some counter arguments to some of these outlandish <laughs> claims about how it would be fine if the club folded? Um, <laughs> and, and I'm just going to say it's because I've tried. <laughs> I've, I've tried. <laughs> and it doesn't really there is no need and I sort of there's something I quite like about the existence of your unconditional flame for Alex Ferguson I feel like it's it's like one of those things that's just quietly quietly vibrationally improving the quality of the world you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember once having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Tottenham fan and he said to me every single United fan he's ever met 
has a complex relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. And I said, my relationship with him is not complex. I love him unconditionally. And he said, that in and of itself is a complex relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And now that I would have put up a counter-argument too. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about the the, the stuff that's... Um, I just Before we get to now, I just want to have a quick conversation about the, the last few years because obviously we've talked a lot in the last few years and, and you travel with your dad to most home games. Um, there was a point where it got to be a heck of a slog to go and watch United. Um, what was that experience like? That must have been particularly difficult for you in that circumstance. Yeah, I think the strange thing was, and, and I do actually think as much as, you know, you say it about me, I, you you are one of the people who's probably closer to my end on the Fergie spectrum than most people. And I think that I was very aware, you know, I, I was, it hit me so hard when he announced his retirement and that, that last game was, was such an emotional experience, the last home game, um, that I was in no doubt that that was it. We'd had the best we were ever going to have. You, yeah, there was I, no I doubt in my mind. And there was a lot of talk that, you know, it, it, it was still, you know, oh, maybe we're not going to win the league every season, but we'll be there or thereabouts. And, yeah. you know, we'll be a club like Chelsea who wins it every three or four or something. And I, for some reason, maybe it is because of my relationship with Ferguson, I didn't see it that way. Now, I didn't see it going the way it did. Obviously, I didn't think that Moyes would be appointed. And then even once he was, I didn't see it, see it going that catastrophically wrong. But I think what's happened really is that it's completely changed my relationship with the club, which is that now going to Old Trafford for me is kind of a, a time to bond with my father. You know, mm. we'll go up there, we'll, you know, it, it, we'll spend the day together and it, not that it's immaterial, but it isn't the same thing that it once was when every single game feels like a cup final because you're pushing for titles every season. Yeah. And I didn't mind that. You know, I still got a great deal out of it. But I must admit, earlier this season, I think it was the Palace game um, when Mourinho was still there. Uh, that was the first time I turned to my dad in the first half of that game. I, I think it was Palace. We drew nil-nil. Um, I turned to my dad and said, I'm not sure I can carry on doing this. Like, I'm not mm. sure I want I'm up and renew the season ticket next season. And as it happens, obviously, you know, things have got a lot brighter since that point. But it just, it hasn't been the same in any way, shape or form. And, and you know, I know obviously fans of rival clubs kind of mock and say, oh, you know, been so tough for you you know you've won this many trophies in this many years it isn't really that it's that you know if you're if you're traveling quite a long way well even if you're not traveling quite a long way to go to a football match you are looking for some sort of enjoyment you're looking for some kind of entertainment and I think that those three managers in a row well I sort of actually exclude Moyes from this because I just think he was promoted way above his abilities and didn't know what he was doing but the other two were just playing a style of football that was so difficult to enjoy. And it, it just, it felt very wearying to wake up and think, OK, we're going to go up and watch this. And you know roughly what it's going to be. And it, you were never really shocked. Yeah. Um, very, very brief spells. 
Um, what do you make of the fact that we've now appointed uh, Alex Ferguson's son to be... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Darren Ferguson? Um... <laughs> no, no, his real son. <laughs> yeah, that's quite... Um, I'm very happy about it. Um, mm. So I, I think that the thing that makes me happiest about it, which I guess circles back to what we discussed at the start of this conversation, is that I think because Solskjaer you know, has such a close relationship with Ferguson. It is undeniable. You know, I don't know, you know, obviously we've heard rumours that Fergie's occasionally been on the training grounds and he's going to him. I don't know the extent of the truth of all that, but it seems undeniable that he is going to him for a word. And I think that with, with certainly Van Gaal and Mourinho, there is too much ego there and they're unable to do that. But Solskjaer, there's not going to be any ego when it comes to Ferguson. It doesn't matter what he achieves. He could win the European Cup for the next 10 seasons and he would say Ferguson was the greatest manager, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But there's, there's that relationship. And I just think you've got this amazing resource. You've got this guy who is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest manager in sports history. And he's there. And I know some people, you know, kind of think he has too much sway. But I think if he's there and you are able to ask him questions and you feel comfortable asking him and asking for help, how could that not be a good thing? Absolutely. And I I also think more, even sort of more than just the the contemporary personal relationship with him, even if that is, as Solskjaer has certainly suggested it is, a really occasional thing, you know, in terms of, like, the active going to Ferguson, it's about using his legacy properly. It's about the fact that when Moyes was appointed, everyone said, cut from the same cloth. And those of us who had paid a bit of attention to what cloth they were both cut from were looking at them going, these two people are cut from different cloth that looks the same. Like, that's... (laughs) Exactly. But that's it. But Ali Solskjaer is actually cut from the same cloth as Alex Ferguson. Like, he actually observed and had the personal capacity to take it on board and as soon as he got the job was like right where's Mike Phelan you know so the kind of institutional legacy of Ferguson lives on in a much more direct way and I think that much more than obvious stuff like the site that even the style of football and the results and because they've you know the style of football's been mixed I think it's that that has everyone, us all feeling like we've got our club back because more than anything else for anyone not old enough to remember Matt Busby, what Man United is in terms of identity is basically just Alex Ferguson's club. That's why everyone's had a massive identity crisis since. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, and I also remember, I remember watching a documentary years ago and it was about the the treble winning season and Solskjaer was interviewed and he said that there was a sort of a period late in that season and obviously, you know, it's kind of like the iconic season where there are four four great forward players and, you know, he's having to alternate and switch things up. And he told this story about Ferguson calling him into his office and saying, "Okay, we've got this game in three games time and it's so significant and I need you and I'm going to need you more than anything. And Solskjaer said he kind of walked out of the office and he was, he was walking on air and he got into his car and was driving home and realized, Oh, he basically just told me he was dropping me for the <laughs> next two. 
<laughs> and I think that the fact that these things stay with him and he remembers these things and so much of it, uh, probably my most kind of your dad opinion, and I am a dad, so I think I should be allowed these. Yeah. That so much of football, um, even now, is about man management. Like, I don't think Ferguson was a dinosaur. You know, he won a league as recently as whatever it was, six years ago. And yeah, he called himself a dinosaur, but I, I don't think that's true. What I think is that so much of it, so much of what you can get out of people, and I think if you were to look at Shankly and Busby and Ferguson, all of these figures, it's about getting people to perform, you know, better than they are, basically. Yeah. You know, being able to turn pretty good squad players, you know, the kind of, you know, the Jason Parks of this world into something beyond that. And I think he was amazing at that. Solskjaer, certainly, you know, I, I think, you know, since Arsenal, it's certainly been a mixed bag. But for the for, for that that original run of games, it was taking a group of players who a huge swathes of our fan base were saying are not good enough and showing that you can actually get results with these players. Maybe you can't win a title with that current squad, but you can certainly go on a decent run and do a lot better than Mourinho was suggesting. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not giving you that, Darren. I'm not giving you your dar status for that. For the opinion that man management is important. I don't know. Maybe there are some like super super hipster nerds out there who are like, man management doesn't matter. But I, I think that I don't think they exist really. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time on a Sunday morning, especially the morning after the clocks went forward. So it's, it's you've had an hour less sleep and still done this. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, we'll speak to you again. Um, and I'm very glad that we've finally done this. And my apologies for this not happening about eight years ago when I thought it had happened. I mean, we've done this about a hundred times. We just haven't recorded it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Darren. Oh, by the way, where where can the people find you? What should the people be looking for? Oh, um, they can follow me on Twitter, Darren Richmond um, at Darren Richmond, and uh, yeah, you'll see me plugging stuff so yeah go for it all right brill and a massive massive thanks for to darren for coming on the show at long last and i can't believe that he's never been on the show before that was genuinely when he told me that i was genuinely surprised i assumed he'd been on ages ago super nice guy that's why he pretends to be your friend (laughs) (laughs) and what's your excuse then I, I don't think I'm pretending, am I? Um, anyway, yes. So I'm glad we're done with the uh, Wolves chat. Uh, can we have a, a quick shout out for the United women's team um, who are almost certainly going to get promoted? I mean, barring a, a complete um, a complete meltdown in the last sort of four games of the season. Um, so the team um, in the last two games uh, won away at Charlton. Very tough game. Um, which uh, I took uh, the boys to go see. Not sure they were entirely impressed with it, but, you know, hey, very, did anyway. There, and... there were not nearly enough Pokemon for your boys at that event. That's it. United ladies, sign Pokemon as a sponsor. Yeah. You'll have two new fans. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, very tough game uh, against uh, Charlton side that are clearly technically inferior but made it pretty difficult and and it was a bad pitch i'd say very bumpy um and then uh you know a really thumping win away at spurs uh who uh, were the main rivals to be promoted um and and now united uh four points ahead with um a game in hand that's 
I mean, it's gone. It's gone basically as well as they could possibly have hoped this season, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, one defeat in the league, one draw, those two cup quarterfinal um, losses, which will have hurt, but um, both to, um, teams above them in the higher, you know, higher up in the, the table, they've got a goal difference of sixty-nine. No jokes, nice. uh, which is just incredible. Um, given that it's only 16 games played. Uh, I think it's 20 in total for the season. So, you know, it's a fairly short season. Uh, and they're going to find themselves in the, um, the the Super League next season. Which will be great in terms of coverage, won't it? Because, I mean, it's probably easier to watch, uh, for people to watch on TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah, much better coverage uh, of um, of it, and presumably, presumably, some bigger crowds. I think uh, City average something like sixteen hundred per game. I mean, uh, in the last few weeks, of course, we've seen some massive crowds yeah. go to women's football: forty thousand for Juventus, sixty thousand for Atletico Madrid. Um, uh, so, I, I'm, it wouldn't it be a wonderful idea to play just a few of those United? women games at Old Trafford next season. We'll see. I, I don't know whether the um, the powers that be will have the foresight to do that. I was kind of surprised given that United were playing Spurs and Spurs needed a test uh, event that uh, they didn't test their new stadium with the women's game rather than a, um, a bunch of duffers, some of whom were in their 60s. Well, I, I think it's... Pr- I mean, there's a counter-argument to that, isn't there, which is that the women's game shouldn't be really used to test stadia. You know, that, that, that you're better off using uh, an exhibition match to do that rather than, you know, people playing a professional sport in a professional league kind of thing, if something does go wrong. Yeah, I didn't... I don't know, that makes it sound... Uh, that doesn't, yeah, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is there was a stadium available. They needed to have a game on that weekend. Yeah, yeah. Two of the biggest teams in women's football coming together. Yeah. Um, Good opportunity. A word for the travelling support for United Women. It's been really fascinating to watch. It's a, it's a relatively small group, but man, there there's there is they have got a hardcore following and um been gonna sort out an interview with um with somebody that's that's travelled quite a lot to watch United Women this season, uh for be- between now and the end of the season, because I, I want to talk to someone who's um who's had that experience because I think it's kind of fascinating because because obviously you're you're exporting a load of Man United culture directly to it, but also a culture develops around the team itself, and the players get chance, and there's fan favourites among the players. Obviously, as you would expect, you know. So because you are as well as supporting United, you're supporting a new team, which is which is a fascinating combination, I think. Yeah. yeah. So more more coverage to come. And if you want more coverage of uh, the women's game at a higher level, I would certainly recommend a podcast that I've recently discovered, um, the Rabana podcast, um, which is co-hosted by a friend of the show, Musa Okwanga, and is absolutely brilliant. It is my uh, my new favourite football listen. So check out the Rabana podcast and we'll get Musa on to talk about it at some point soon. Very good. Uh, so... We've put this off for as long as we can possibly get away with on the back of three defeats in four games um, and uh, uh, a very disappointing, error-strewn performance against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, we, have to, we have to play Leo Messi now, and it doesn't seem fair to me. that I feel like we should we should have a palate cleanser in between. Do you know what I mean? We should have had a home game against Huddersfield like this weekend coming. That would have been very nice. Thank you. 
And he hasn't been injured yet. I mean, anything else? Like, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm a fan of assassination. <laughs> Just putting it out there. At least with a BB gun or something like that, you know. Um, uh, kidnapping, short term, confusing him, sending him to the wrong city, anything. Yeah, trying to convince him he's playing Man City that day. That that'll do me something something non threatening in a in, like you know that won't do him any harm whatsoever. Um, so because uh, Sky lost the contract to Eleven Sports um, during the uh, the close season, I don't think I've seen. I think the only Barcelona games I've seen all season have been in the Champions League. I saw their their second leg game against Lyon. And honestly, that game was the worst possible game to have watched um, in the context of this one because that game was like really even. Barcelona didn't look that good. You kind of think, oh, maybe there's an upset on the cards here. And then Messi's like, no, listen, listen, right? None of this nonsense. Remember me? And then basically won the game single-handedly. And that was annoying from a United perspective in retrospect. Yeah, they... uh... Barca, I mean, if you want to feel better about it, have conceded more goals than United in the league this season. Okay. So I'm trying to find reasons for uh, United having a shot at this. There aren't many. Um, they, uh, I mean, you know, if you stop Messi, you stop Barca. Uh, <laughs> Messi has scored. <laughs> yeah. 32, if, you, if you stand in front goal, of him. 32 goals in the league, 40 in all competitions, I think. Yeah. And uh, Suarez has got 19. After that, no one's in double figures. If, if you stop Messi, stop Barca. It's like, if you get hit by a train and being hit by a train doesn't hurt you, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can't stop Messi. The worrying, the worrying thing is it, it's actually, you know, it's looking really functional at the moment, Barca. They, uh, Arturo Vidal is playing well. Um, they are, I mean, Suarez has been on and off. Uh, it looks like he's coming on just at the sort of right time. Dembele, Coutinho, there's still, there's lots of debate about those. Rakitic, I don't think they're ready to drop him or move him on yet. Um, their defence is super strong. Malcolm has um, come in and done good things at times. He's not played a lot. Um, and um, you know, they've sailed the goalkeeping situation. So you why know, they're they're looking like a very strong team at the moment. They're miles ahead in the in the La Liga. Uh, they'll they've got Atletico just before us, I think. But um, it's you know they they can stroll around on that with that one, um, knowing that they're going to win the league, whatever. So. so why if they've got a really strong defence and have solved their goalkeeping problem, any idea why they've conceded more goals than us? Because they throw like nine hundred players forward all the time, <laughs> they, they've only conceded one more. Okay, like right, right, fair enough. Um, the uh, the messy thing is such a big deal. I know, I know, it's like um, it feels almost like a bit too predictable to to make the focus of the preview of the Barcelona game be messy, but but he is just. He's the reason why I don't have any optimism for this match, like genuinely, or this tie at least. Because it does seem like almost every time they need him to, he steps up. And and if you look at the times when they've kind of had high-profile defeats recently, um, I mean, I know they just drew four all with VRL, didn't they? So they're not... But there's something about the fact that this is like such a big game and all that kind of thing. And there'll be so much, you know, there'll be so much hype and attention on it. I just can't see, I can't see anything other than either they just beat us 
somewhat comfortably or it's close and then Messi makes all the difference. Yeah, I mean, d- double active of Smalling and Jones uh, are going to sort them out, surely. Well, I guess... I I guess mean, it- there's that great um, great clip of uh, it all going horribly wrong and, and Jones diving in to try and make a tackle from last night's game and his face is wobbling all over the place. It's just a classic Jones gurn. Um, I, I, he's, yeah, if, if that if Wolves make him gurn like that, his face will be doing abs- absolute flips with uh, Messi and Suarez and Dembele and Malcolm all running around him. I mean, it's not his fault that um, his face is funny, is it? Like, he's, he's not rubbish because he's got a silly face. Are you sure about that, though? Are you sure? Because there's pretty good correlation from what I can see. His face is on him 100% of the time, and he's rubbish. Not 100% of the time, but not 0% of the time either. And it may well be over 50% of the time. Let's just round up. That correlation that sounds like terrible maths to me. But anyway, um, I, 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 do, I, I kind of... I do feel a bit like, oh, so it's funny because his face is funny. Like, people are born with different sorts of faces. Like, that's... Anyway, reasons for, for United beating Barcelona, not very many, but Girona did it. They're sort of local rivals, sort of-ish, from just up the road. Um, not much else, though. Lyon got a draw, didn't they, in the first leg of that game? Yeah. Um, uh, athletic Club Bilbao got a draw recently. Yeah, Villarreal did right at the weekend. Just... Villarreal did, yeah. Um, I don't remember the last time, apart from Girona, someone actually beat... Levante beat them in the uh, Copa del Rey in uh, January. Well, there you go. Rubbish. Uh, okay, so what has to happen for United to win? I mean, obviously, United have to be absolutely on it. We have to be like... You remember the the, the, the Madrid game that we lost? Um, uh in Fergie's last season, the first whatever minutes of that, it was just so intoxicating because United was so utterly on it. And actually, that was the thing about the Wolves game that I found quite upsetting to watch is just like, we were the opposite. I was thinking, I was thinking about that game because I was thinking, oh, this is the opposite of that. We are off it. <laughs> like, passes going astray, silly defensive mistakes, all of that kind of stuff. So United have to be like absolutely performing to the the best possible level that they can perform to. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like having gone from a position of having like a very settled team, the injuries have really unsettled our season. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to know who's going to be available. And even if they are, whose head's right, you know, do we play Herrera? It would seem like it'd be really important to a game like this. Um, but, you know, if his head's all over the place and he's thinking about moving, then that that makes it very questionable. Uh, do we play Matic or do we keep McTominay in the side? I, th- I think I would, I would lean towards the latter based on performance levels recently. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, McTominay, uh, Oli had lots of praise for him after the Wolves game, said he's never let us down. He's going to play a lot of games for United. I think he's growing as a player. Uh, I think the criticism of him that he wasn't very progressive with his passing is becoming less relevant as he as he grows into the team. He's shown he can score goals now. Yeah, absolutely. No, we didn't mention that. Fine Daisy Cutter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he can uh, he can control a game with his passing, sort of, or at least he's um, he's got a good range of passing. He's a good athlete. So there, there's an argument. I mean, not a logical one, usually, because uh, a player of Matic is standing and... 
um, history in the game and um, our money United spent on and all of that should say that Matic should play in these big games. But, but I mean, it doesn't matter what the trio is. Is it is it Arthur, Rakitic and Busquets? Um, uh, does Philip Coutinho play in a deeper position? He's been playing sort of wide left. And Dembele in there. Whatever it is, as a, a Vidal plays, sometimes doesn't. Um, they are going to be all more dynamic than Matic. They're just going to all run around him for the whole game. I, I mean, I, I almost think we just can't play Matic in this game. You know, I, th- I think it would be, it would be, it's like going to be a passenger in a game like this. Because um, he's just no kind of destroyer whatsoever. I'd, ra- I'd almost like rather see Fred than Matic, which... <laughs> That's not that he's a destroyer. No, no, no. Of course, it's not, funny. But... He was a. He was a. We. I mean, my my instinct about Fred last night was that he was terrible, and that might just have been coloured by the fact that he he controlled the ball about fifteen yards away from him. Uh, that was rolled to him by David De Gea. Um, he actually had a very good pass completion rate and uh, a whole bunch of interceptions and tackles, and his numbers were decent. Yeah, not huge, no. but decent. Yeah, and and so anyway. I, I don't know. Let's let's say everyone's fit. What's your starting eleven for this game? And then we'll let the people go and get on with their lives because uh, it's a long show. Yeah. Well, we haven't even done questions yet. Oh crikey! Are we gonna? We'll take a few. Well, yeah, we'll take a few. Okay. Few of the favourites okay. or something like that. Okay. Um. Uh. Well, De Gea has to play. Um. It's young available or is he banned for this well, one? You don't no, get he's ba- not banned for this one you don't get banned for Europe <laughs> but would you play him it, it's been a long day I, would, I wish he would have done because Diego Dello would be a better choice I'm sure but like what I mean um, shouldn't we have a- Young will play okay, okay. Uh, and and then it will be Smalling and Lindelof and Shaw um, and uh, am I going for the game the team I think should play or the team that I think will no no play? the team so you'd it- pick the team you think should play okay well I'd play Dello ahead of Young yeah. for sure um, the first game's at Old Trafford. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, um, and then uh, Herrera, Pogba, and I might be tempted to go for McTominay and uh, Martial Rashford and uh, Lukaku, I guess. Although Lukaku's form is after th- three or four goals in a row, five, six goals in a row has dropped off again. So it depends on whether Lingard's fit or not because he could come into the team and they could play a sort of diamond, which might make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the idea of playing a diamond and playing a front two because um, I think we do need to be able to stretch them because, like you say, they commit loads and loads of players forward and I do think our best chances will be on the counter-attack. I, I think I think McTominay over Matic is close to a no-brainer at this point. Um and then yeah, everything else I basically I basically agree. So I would I would go with that same same diamond in midfield with Lingard at the point of the diamond. I think Lingard's energy would be super useful in this game. I think you need Herrera in there um to do what he does and to also pay a bit of attention to Messi, maybe. Um but I don't think it's gonna be enough anyway. Um I I think it's a shame that we're playing Barcelona at this stage because I would have liked one more game. But Strange things happen in football, and if something strange happens, it's going to be particularly spectacularly beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, hey, these are the things that test top managers. Oli has got to get his team right, his team in, in, in mentally right, 
for this game. Uh, they've they he's he's got to get everyone fit <laughs> and um, understanding what their role is. United's game plan. I mean, they, there is only one game plan, right? Barcelona are going to make six hundred passes and they're going to get sixty five percent possession. The game plan is to hit Barcelona on the break. What's the one that causes the most problems? You know, so there's there's one question about. And part of the reason why I, I think a diamond might be um, really effective is it's 1v1 against their back two, which is probably Lenglet and PK, but might be another choice. MTC might come in. Either way, pressure on them, uh, meaning they can't, and, and, and Lingard a bit further forward to stop the ball into Rakitic. Um, some high press, some ability to stop it there. If not, ability to get the ball forward quickly. Um, and so that that might make a lot of it might make a lot of sense, <laughs> but either way, it looks really is super hard, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but we know what the game plan will look like, some form of that, uh, and it will be trying to defend. Um, well, we need Dave on his game, uh, and we're going to get thirty thirty five percent possession and try and do something with it. Execution. This is the thing that we needed going into the PSG game. I mean, in the first I, that's, leg. that would be harsh for Messi. I mean, I'm not advocating <laughs> execution, but yeah, um, uh, this is this is the thing we need. We need we need everything that can go right to go right. That's that's what we need. And it could that you know, if that happens, then we're close enough to them as a collective that we could do what we need to do. But it hasn't been happening lately, so expecting it to be happen to. Expect it to happen would be a bit foolhardy, but here's hoping anyway. So um, I guess my predicted score in that game is actually like probably realistically Barcelona 2, Man United 0. That's my predicted score. Sick in Well, look, what what, what evidence do we have of United versus Barcelona at Old Trafford? We have (laughs) 1984, the great comeback. United win 3-0. We have Robson, you know, beating Maradona. We have... 1998-99, 1998-99, that season. United 3, Barca 3, Lee Sharp scoring what, after about three minutes, doing the Sharpie shuffle. <laughs> and, and then we have 2008, 0-0, uh, parking the bus over two, you know, twice. Yeah. <laughs> over Wait, two which, game, and, which, and Skulls, which game did Skull score in? Wasn't that Old Trafford? The second, that was Old Trafford, yeah. yeah, yeah. So 1-0. Yeah, thrashing in a 25-yarder to win it. Yeah. So which template am I going to follow in my predictions? <laughs> obviously, it's going to be three. Undefeated. Obviously. Undefeated against Barcelona at Old Trafford. There we go. Brilliant. Yeah. As long as we don't play at Wembley. All right. Shall we <laughs> Shall we take a few quick questions before we move on? I mean, the, the, the folks haven't had a uh, podcast from us for about two weeks. All right, no, let's do, let's do, let's do hundreds one. of questions. That's fine. No problem. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Maybe a few quick ones. Jax365 says, should the UK follow United and choose the Norway Plus deal? <laughs> yes. Of course, re- rejected in Parliament, this one. this is uh, <laughs> Like all the other deals, is... like literally everything else anyone suggested. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The the one that they voted on today, which was, um, should, should the Commons uh, be allowed to effectively take control of the process and table a whole series of new indicative votes, Tied, 310, either way. <laughs> so they can't even decide on whether they should be able to decide on something. Honestly. Magic. Oh, my Absolute goodness. Absolute magic. Yeah, um, not not that popular Norway Plus uh, amongst MPs. 
um, who seem to be pushing uh, for a more restrictive customs union. But clearly, clearly the UK should follow Norway Plus. It's the only answer. I mean, apart from the actual answer. <laughs> Which is, yeah, don't exit Europe. <laughs> yeah. Also, my advice to Ollie this week. Yes. Given the reaction to our form of late, says Ben Hudson, friend of the show, am I right in thinking that we won every single game between 1986 and 2013 by a score of 9-0 with 100% possession and 100% pass completion? I genuinely... I think you might might be close. Might be close. I mean, at least that game against Ipswich. <laughs> I genuinely think people have lost the capacity to understand that sometimes we lose, which is mad given how much we've lost. <laughs> we do it quite yeah. a lot, yeah. Yeah. Like, what's Damn. the expectation? If Pochettino was the manager, do people think we'd just win every game now if Pochettino managed us? No, they'd be asking for his head by now. <laughs> uh, lost three games. Uh, Dan, friend of the show, says, uh, that's underscore Dan B 21 which was worse, Gary Noel versus West Brom or Ashley Young versus Wolves? Ashley Young versus Wolves. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Gary Gaz at least did the decent thing and retired at half yeah, time. exactly. I think we won that game. No, maybe it was a draw. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. Don't remember. And we must and have won Young it. Will be it was... with us next season as well. He signed a one-year contract extension. Yeah, it was before Fergie retired, so we must have won, right? Stands to reason. Uh, Wan Baseka, by the way. Yeah. Um, having a really, really top friend, season. Friend of the show, Aaron Wan Baseka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Would be a great purchase. I don't know whether we could get him out of Crystal Palace anymore. Um uh, given how good a season he's having. Uh, interesting, didn't make the England squad. It's also an argument that England might have like four or five of the top ten best right-backs on the planet at the moment. I think England might have like a, a whole bunch of the best players under the age of like 22 anywhere in the world at the moment, which is absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Um, but yeah. Callum Hudson-Odoi, really, really, really good for England, apart from that early mistake. Sorry, nah, nah, not bothered to be honest. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Ryan Walton says, how big an error would it be to let Herrera go to PSG this summer? I don't know the answer to that question. I, I think the answer is it depends entirely on, on what we're going to do instead. I think in a vacuum, it's it seems absolutely ridiculous over 30 grand a week, given what we've done with 30 grand a week at United recently, to... Uh, to let him go to to PSG instead to make some sort of point about our wage structure, considering how much we're going to have to spend to replace him. Very true. Uh, very, very true. Very true. I mean, I, I'm not sure I understand the, all of the thinking all of the time. Andy Wells says, uh, first question, has Smalling a professional football? The second question, same question, but replace Smalling with Phil Jones. Cruel, cruel. We talked about it. Cruel. James, that's Whamsy, says, is there a possibility Pogba's head has been turned? Recent performances haven't been up to his usual standard. Well, I'd say three of his last four recent performances have not been very good. The ten before that, though, were very good, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And, I mean, we've seen him play badly in patches before at United, of course, so nothing super unusual in that. Um, and I think the the big problem is the general the general kind of chopping and changing that's had to happen because of injury. I think Pogba suffered from that as much as anyone. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. And uh, Ollie talked about um, perhaps moving him a bit deeper, which is interesting. Instead, <laughs> uh, obviously, he's got a lot to offer at number 10, which is pretty much where Ollie put him as soon as he came in. We got a lot of really good performances. Um, and then the last few games, really, he's played deeper. I mean, he played quite a conservative role against Wolves and against Watford, where Matter was the sort of link. Um, and he's trying to the the reasoning was that he's trying to get more control over midfield, and it's very true. United do not control midfield. In fact, the better performances under United under Oli have been when United are not trying to control midfield; they're just giving up possession and trying to play with, sort of dynamically on the break. Yeah. The, um, so it, it's the thing that has to be fixed. And and if Herrera goes, and whatever happens with Matic and Pereira and one matter and Pogba. Um, two really top midfielders are an absolute must, and that's going to cost an awful lot of money. And and anyway. and is hard because it's not obvious who that should be exactly and how you do it. Yeah. Um, so got a list. So got a list on our White Scout account. <laughs> the um, that we didn't we haven't talked about the international break at all because that's why there's been it's been ages since there was a podcast. Um, and I, I watched the second France game, uh, the game against Iceland. And it was just fascinating. I mean, first of all, Pogba, Griezmann um, uh, and Mbappe linked incredibly for France's, both of France's, both their their third and fourth goals. They were both magnificent team goals with lovely finishes, both of featuring those three players. There was the Pogba assist for Griezmann um, in the first game, which is just a thing of absolute pure beauty. Um, and that's all coming from him playing, you know, very much a very disciplined role as a holding midfielder in a two. Um, you know, him and Kante play horizontally level with each other in that France team. Uh, and and he's so disciplined for France. Like Time and time and time again, he's shown it over and over and over again. He can do a brilliant job in that role. He he can do. It's whether he can do an even brillianter job playing forward, which I think is the uh, the better argument. Um, which I think he can. But uh, and so why compromise? Why compromise what you get uh, out of Pogba as an attacking player when you can buy a really good? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, but uh, until yeah. we have done that, then you know. Yeah. Why can't we I, just buy go a Kante? Why would a Kante so much? Yeah, uh, you're not going to get no. it because sorry, um, Ike Yegola, or Ike Yegola, one of the two. Uh, this this question is definitely for you, Paul. Right. Knock on wood, but if Oli misses out on the top four in the Champions League, do you think he'll be sacked, or will the United hierarchy stick with him into the new season? <laughs> Excellent question. feel like answering at all i presume it's a joke rather than a question <laughs> if madrid, madrid comes calling says josh berry underscore it uh, how much should we sell for i don't think we should not this summer see see, no, see what we do no, in the no. transfer window pog was the kind of player you got to replace before you sell him not try and sell him and then replace him in my opinion uh, you know, Pogba can have some bad games every now and again. It does, he does. He's had a lot of bad games. But almost every time we're good, it's partly because he's excellent. So I think selling him for anything less than absolutely insane Neymar money um, would be a huge mistake this summer. 
and I, I might for some reason I don't think it's going to happen I, I feel like uh, he might well go after next season but hopefully we'll be a lot more established and in a better position to lose him I, I'd rather have a flaky Pogba than not have Pogba by miles yeah 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 um I would like to see a stronger team built around him in which I think we'll see a not very, not nearly as flaky Pogba in that team. Yeah, absolutely. Look at France. Totally agree. Totally 100% agree. Stuart Richer, Disco Stew Madrid, says, when is Paul's acoustic version of all the United Chants coming out on CD? <laughs> also, will we see in Barcelona busking in front of camp? Uh, you didn't see this, Ed, because you're not on Instagram, but I got a new guitar this week, and so I recorded an acoustic version of Ole's at the wheel. <laughs> um, uh, and someone asked me to make it a feature on the Rankcast, and I said 50% of the hosts of the Rankcast would not accept that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, if you really want to, you can carry on like singing away after we've finished. <laughs> Get Tom to cut it out before it goes out to the people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Ian Steve says, uh, this is another one for you, I reckon. Uh, will all the fence jumping fanboys we've lost post Fergie toss aside their PSG merch and try and hop back aboard? I just don't think that's a thing. I've, I've not, I don't know. how many people have stopped supporting United to start support PSG in the last few years? Well, yeah, the uh, the the fickle international crowd. So, but that's told, not apparently. that's not been my experience of the international crowd. Who are a bunch of no. absolute hardcore Man United lunatics, in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, look, I'm, I look, I am a big fan of a United lunatic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Love I, it. I just wish they wouldn't get on Twitter so often. <laughs> Football Nuggets says uh, you're not doing podcasts and we're losing. Coincidence? I think not. It's all your fault. Uh, we did a podcast after the last time we lost. So, and to be. To be fair, the reason that we haven't done podcasts is because there was an international break and then we played like three days after the previous game so we couldn't get a podcast in in between. We want to give you people time to, you know, thoroughly digest and reflect on all this high quality content between now and Barcelona. That's right. Olaf T. Hoslimo says, would you trust Young and Fred to take care of your cat if you're going away for the weekend to enjoy some well-deserved time off? Actually, Young, 100%. In fact, you know what? Both of them seem super sound. Fred seems like such a lovely lad. He went to visit the smallest house in the world in Wales when he had a little holiday the other day. And he seems to, like, really love his wife and kid. And Ashley Young, to all, like, everyone, everyone that knows him says he's a good sound lad so um so yeah 100 percent. what i would do is give the cat to the manumatic and say there you go chase after that perhaps it might help him be a bit more dynamic <laughs> like rocky and the chickens yeah comedic underscore hermit says can you add one si- you can add one cyborg part body part to one member of the squad from yesterday which player and which part oh oh what a great question Cyborg neck to any of them that had a chance of like three yards out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really good. So a cyborg part really, does it give you more precision? Do you think a, a cyborg right foot, are we assuming that a cyborg right foot would be better than like a high quality footballer's actual right foot? An, an absolute hammer of a <laughs> hammer of a shot from 60 yards. Yeah, yeah that could be really useful. Give, whatever Pogba's weaker foot is, replace it with a, a magic cyborg foot. Good stuff. All right, we're going to call it a day there, I think. So the peeps have had uh, an hour and ten minutes of us talking nonsense and uh, however many minutes of it 
of you talking nonsense uh, and uh, several minutes of Darren Richmond probably making more sense than either <laughs> yeah, of us real, together. Yeah, it's real good. It's a real good chat. I know you've not had a chance to hear it yet, Ed, but it's, it is a real good chat. Immediately after Barcelona, we're playing West Ham on the Saturday. Um, not going to do an in-depth preview of that because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Um, but we do have to, in rank cast time, on a tradition, pick two random numbers. Home to West Ham in the league on the back of home to Barcelona. What do you think the score of that game is going to be? Um, well, it's at Old Trafford, and of course, United have struggled a bit against the sort of mid-table size. But West Ham are not in a great position, you know. They're mid-table, and I don't think they've ever really picked up any decent amount of form all season. Uh, they've got some, 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 not many, some dangerous players. Um, Felipe Anderson being their most marketable one, I suppose, at the moment. They got Declan Rice, didn't they? Man United, Declan Rice, Man United, all the famer Declan Rice. A lot of people are talking about bids being made. A lot of people would like to see it happen as well. And uh, a very flexible player and uh, um, a very talented one as well. And yeah, so sure, some good players, but I think this is one for United to win. Get back on the horse at Old Trafford. Yeah. Having stuffed Barca, 2 0 win for United against West Ham. Yeah, so you predict 3 3 and 2 2 0. Uh, I'll go for 2 0. Cardiff beat West Ham 2 0 on the 9th of March. So I'm going for a 2 0 win to United because if, if Cardiff can do it and we can't, we've got big problems. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, interesting down at the bottom of the Premier League, isn't it? Fulham and Huddersfield down now. And then Cardiff, five points adrift of Burnley. Lose, game in hand. Losing right now to City. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want Cardiff to go down so bad because of Neil Warnock being the dirt because worst. Neil Warnock. Yeah. He's awful. Honestly, He's so- I know it's really bad for United that Chelsea got a, you know, a completely dodgy late winner, but I wasn't able to fully not enjoy it um because uh Neil Warnock is just horrible. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. Thank you for listening everyone. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the hour and a half long show. Patreon backers, stay tuned for even more show. Everyone else uh, will be back either after Barcelona or West Ham. Until then, enjoy the football. Remember remember not to freak out about every possible thing that ever happens. And all will be well. Bye now.